0: Heavenly Father, I love you. We love you. We thank you for all your gifts. Thank you for your people, for saving us, for bringing us together to, to worship you, to learn from you, to hear from you through your word, by your spirit. We ask for your help tonight this morning as we talk about a difficult topic, an uncomfortable topic, but a real topic that we need to address. And we're thankful that this catechism just brings us right to it logically. Help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's hit last week's question just for review. There I am. Wow. Are all people, just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? And the answer was no. Only those who are elected by God and united to Christ by faith Nevertheless, God in his mercy demonstrates common grace even to those who are not elect by restraining the effects of sin and enabling works of culture for human well-being. We, Matt took two weeks to go through that, so I'm not going to review much of that. I think that was helpful, very helpful. But last week's question is really asking this simple question. Does everybody go to heaven? Right? That's really what it's asking. Does everybody go to heaven? And the clear answer from the Bible is this is the answer we have here? No, not everybody goes to heaven. If not everybody goes to heaven, what's the natural question that would then we have? What? Where do they go? Where do they go? <laughs> and that's where the next question takes us. Um, the, the answers to today's question is really that they face a final judgment. The verdict is guilty, and the punishment is hell. that's quite an uncomfortable thing for us to talk about it. Um, Why is it, this is kind of an open question, why is it uncomfortable for us to talk about hell? Why does that make us like a really heavy topic? Maybe it doesn't bother you as much and I'd like to hear why doesn't it bother you as much to talk about it. We know people that may go there, right? What else, Matt?
1: I, I think it bothers me if I think about it.
0: <laughs> if you think about it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I just sit there and think about it, it's disturbing. Ah, uh, Teresa. I think it's the idea that it's never going to end. That the punishment's forever. That they're mm-hmm. What are some of the common reasons, Wesley? What are some of the reasons that you hear maybe non-Christians or people that have been, you know, kind of burned and have kind of walked away from the faith? What are some of the reasons they don't like hearing about hell or even the idea of it? Mm-hmm. 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 oh right so sometimes it's used as a to beat people over the head with yeah yeah you have you heard people say how can a merciful god have made a hell mm-hmm. right i mean that's that's usually the most common thing i hear that people are bothered by well we we've got all kinds of feelings and thoughts about it but let's actually look and see what does god say about it because of. That's really the truth that we want to go to. So today's question is, what happens after death to those not united to Christ by faith? And the answer on your handout um, is, after, At the day of judgment, they will receive the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. They will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. It's heavy, isn't it? Um, so let's just break that down. Where do we get this from? That first phrase is at the day of judgment. And I've I'm, I'm just picked two verses to show you, but you could start in Genesis and go all the way through the Bible. And I think almost every single book has a reference to the day of of God's judgment, the day of God's wrath, or judgment that God will bring. Almost every single book. I think Esther doesn't say anything about it, and no, Ruth doesn't. But you're not going to find very many books that do not reference it. Even the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes talks about it, the most obscure books that you can think of. Especially the ones in the Old Testament near the end talk a lot about this. Day of Judgment. But Peter in Acts, he's preaching. No, this isn't Peter. This is Paul in Athens talking to people that don't know Jesus. And he says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. And then Romans 2.5. Another re- real clear reference to what this is. Paul says, But because of your hard and impenitent, that means not sorry, heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The day of judgment is a real thing and a real point in time. Sometimes when you see it talked about the day, it's actually referring to a long period. But when you talk about this, the day of judgment, it's referring to a specific moment in time that will happen at the end. The next part of our answer says they will receive the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. And the part I want to focus on here, I feel like I have the wrong. That's not First Corinthians four five because that's what we just read. Someone look up First Corinthians four five for me. Sword drill. <laughs> Sword drill. <laughs> How many of you did that as kids? You know. I never. There's won. a few of us.
1: <clears throat>
0: never won once. My friend Mike Midell always won. <laughs> <run. laughs> No. Yeah, that's right, Chris. So I just to stand up. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Go, Go ahead. Howard got
1: It every time. It was Mike
0: Mydell for me. Was he was it? always the uh, the winner in that. Those Mydells. Those Mydells, I tell you.
1: Um, First Corinthians four five. Yeah. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart then each one will receive this commendation before God, or from God.
0: Okay. So, Paul's saying there, at some point, everything will be exposed. Everything. The thoughts of the heart, he says, will be exposed. The next verse, this one, here we go, Is right. If you call on him as Father, who judges impartially... According to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The reason I bring that verse here to our attention is that this, ver- this part of the catechism says that the sentence will be just. It will be right. It will be the right, fair thing. And a lot of people think God is not fair for sending people to hell. Right? But God will do what is fair. He will judge impartially. That means he will always do what is right. It doesn't feel fair, but our feelings are tainted, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Right? The next part of the phrase, well here, Revelation 19, 1 through 2. Here's what's what's encouraging to me because this Right before this scene, there's the scene of martyrs in heaven. And it says, After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. His judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute. Who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. We long for the day when all the rights, all the wrongs done will be made right. And that's a picture way out there in the future. But just the reminder that the judgment that God will bring will be true and just. The last part of this fray of our catechism says they will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. Now, I think we've heard (laughs) a lot of preachers, maybe maybe you've heard preachers say that Jesus spoke about hell more than any other topic. How many of you have ever heard people say that? It's not true. (laughs) Jesus did not speak about hell more than any other topic. However, while it's not true, it's true that Jesus spoke about hell more than any other person in the Bible. So you can go through the Bible, look at prophets and everything. Jesus spoke about hell more than any of them in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So... Those that say, well, I want the Jesus of the New Testament and I want the Jesus of the Gospels. Those are the key things. Well, that Jesus talks a lot about this topic. Um, and, and I think there's many cliches about hell, right? And before Hollywood, it was written about in books a lot. Dante has a book that talks about describes different levels and none of it's really in scripture. It's just the imaginations of people. But since Hollywood has been making movies. It's often portrayed as this place where demons rule. And and I don't know if any of you are watching a certain series on Netflix, but they've got this picture, this, this world that looks like, you know, it's the underworld and these demons and, and creatures rule as if it's not horrible to them. It's only horrible to the souls that they're torturing. But, that is just not accurate either of Scripture. We have really no idea what it looks like. Though the Bible tells us a lot about hell, it really doesn't give us a picture of anything I've seen yet. Yeah, everything I've seen described in the Bible does not picture anything I've seen in movies or books. But let me just give you three truths, though, that we do know from hell, from the Bible about hell. Okay, Because these are key. And anything beyond this... Unless it's specified in the Bible, we're just making up. All right. <laughs> so uh, first one, it is the constant presence of God's wrath. The, the question there in the catechism says it, they're cast out from the favorable presence of God. Now, why do you think it says they're cast out from the favorable presence of God? Where is God, Wesley? Where is God?
1: Well, technically, isn't God all
0: Technically, he God is everywhere, right? That's the answer, right? From the God is everywhere. If God is everywhere, where does that mean that He is that we didn't think He would be? Nowhere. Where? Nowhere. Well, nowhere. He is definitely nowhere. He's definitely not nowhere. He's everywhere. I've, heard, you know, has the question not entered your brain? Like, well, God can't be in hell, but if He's everywhere, you he must somehow be in hell. That's why the question's written this way, because hell is the constant presence of God's wrath. His not His favorable. You want His favorable presence with you forever. You don't want His wrathful presence. And how God can be in one place favorably and in another place, his presence pouring out wrath at the same time, I don't know. But the word God says it, so I'm going to take that at its face value. The second point here is that it is God's wrath. Hell, is God's wrath poured out forever. 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 So I want to show you a verse that shows both of these truths together. Because I'm not—I'm to show you—I'm not making this up. This is from the Bible. So 2 Thessalonians one seven through nine, Paul is in one of his famous sentences that go on and on, um, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us. He's talking to the people in Thessalonica, but then he says. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now look at how they're described when God comes, Jesus comes in judgment. They will suffer the punishment of temporary destruction, No, it says eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, the presence of the Lord there would be when Paul talks about the Lord, he's talking about Jesus. So Jesus in his God, in his flesh, the God man will not be in hell. But the active presence of eternal destruction from God will be there. Forever. Forever. Third truth about hell. It's a place. It's a place. It's not an idea. It's not a metaphor. It's a real place. Now this is true because how many have ever heard that idea that it's a metaphor, just an idea? Maybe a few people. Crusoe's being honest didn't. (laughs) Yeah. So... It cannot be just an idea or metaphor because the Bible talks about the final resurrection. The resurrection will bring to life not just those who died in Christ but every human being that ever lived. You'll be resurrected. Your body will be brought to life and then it says the judgment. If it was simply just an idea or a metaphor then he wouldn't have to bring the, the bodies back. And if it's a resurrection of a body and then follows judgment, that's where the body goes. So if we look at Revelation twenty twelve through 13, John says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Check this out, because I I heard a a guy ask the other day on a radio show, what about sailors who were thrown into the sea when they died? And what about people that were cremated? How does this work? Notice it says, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. So somehow... (laughs) and I'm not going to explain how those are different other than I know the sea is not death and Hades, right? But bodies are brought from everywhere that's present, everywhere that is possible. They're brought to this judgment, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, in anyone's name. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Doesn't sound like metaphorical language, even though we're in the middle of Revelation and he's seen a vision. He's talking about a resurrection of bodies and being thrown somehow into judgment. Now, look at Revelation 14. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up Forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. The point being, <clears throat> torment forever and ever. If you look at our answer to our question. They'll be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. That's heavy stuff. Hell is truly the constant presence of God's wrath. It is God's wrath poured out forever. And it is a place, not an idea or metaphor. So let me give you then three reasons why I think this question matters. And then I'll just open it up for questions. And I get these three reasons from Wayne Gruden, who was really, really helpful on this topic. So this doctrine... This teaching from our catechism of final judgment, it satisfies our inward sense of a need for justice in this world. How does that how does that true? If you know that there's a hell that's a real place, that is a constant, forever torment, how does that help satisfy this inward sense of need for justice? Do you know what we mean by this? We have this sense of a need for justice. I can help you out. Like how many, especially you kids, how many of you have ever seen one of your siblings get by with something and not get punished for it? All right, they're all raising their hands. Everybody is, and all the rest of us would as well, right? Ava broke Liam's arm and she's getting away with it. Oh man, oh man, oh man. (laughs) She... Really did knock him off the pogo stick, didn't she? No, she bit it. She bit it. Oh, see, I knew it. So how does that make you feel when somebody gets by with something and they're not punished for it? How do you feel? Yes. Ava's got her fists some. Oh, right? Now, we're talking about sibling squabbles. We could take that up a notch. For instance, when these shootings happen and the shooter kills all these people and then kills himself. I have this inward sense of that's not fair. He got to commit these awful, awful crimes and he just escapes out as if he's just done and he thinks nothing else will happen. Doesn't that feel you leave you feeling empty like something's wrong there? And you can think of maybe other instances when someone commits a crime and the judge gives them a lean, just a really soft sentence, that makes you feel this need for justice has not been satisfied. But if we remember these truths about hell, we will know that there is ultimately justice being done. I mean, we want this all the time, don't we, Matt? Yes. Go ahead. That was your cue.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it was a good, good line. There you go. I, <laughs> I was listening to an audio book by D. A. Carson about suffering, and he's in a chapter about justice, and he was theorizing. Wouldn't it be nice if God distributed justice immediately? Just in a in one sense, we kind of feel that way. Um, although that's not really true with most of us. We usually, we just want God to help us, but, um, he said, wouldn't it be nice if there was versions of that? So if I just did something little, he'd kind of give me a little burn to wake me up and uh, you know, Oh yeah, we shouldn't do this. And he's, he said, but when you begin to understand humanity, he said, he said, if you want to go to a place like that and in the book, he said, if you want to go to a place like that, then
0: where justice is served immediately, Justice
1: is served immediately instantaneously... For everything that's needed. For everything that's needed, he said, then go to hell. I mean, that's where you would experience that. And, uh, I mean, that's... Which I think, in conjunction with your question, I always think of, uh, frankly, O.J. Simpson. Yeah. I feel like that guy got... I could be wrong, but I feel like that guy got off, got off, at least for the murder.
0: Something fell off, for sure.
1: And, And you just go... Or, Charity loves watching all these true crime shows. Which you know, sometimes I worry that it's given her ideas on how to get rid of me. But um, you, you, the ones that get me are the ones where the unsolved ones, and the mm-hmm. parent that has lost a a child that was murdered, and you go, and they don't know who did it, no clue, and, and you wonder, did this person just completely get away with mm-hmm. murder? And and we have that, but. It's it's true what you're where you're going with it is like but if we want justice dispensed immediately then we have we have our own issues to deal with exactly yeah
0: and, and we those true crime shows all of those law and order type of shows they exist they know that we will enjoy them because of this mm-hmm. we want justice served yeah. now there is maybe part of us a sick part of us as well that likes. <laughs> Yeah, talk to church. Yeah. (laughs) But ultimately, it works because we want to see it resolved, or we know even if it remains unresolved that there's this ugh in us. So that's one reason why this doctrine of hell matters, is that it helps us know that ultimately justice will be served. Now, second, this doctrine of final judgment enables us to forgive others. Why would I say that? Let me give you a verse that'll help you. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Whenever, Grudem says this, and I quote, him. he says, whenever we've been wronged, and kids, listen, because this is really important, because I know this really happens in our homes <laughs> whenever we've been wronged we can give it into god's hands any desire to harm or pay back the person who's wronged us knowing that every wrong in the universe will be ultimately be paid for either it'll turn out to have been paid for by christ when he died on the cross if the person is a believer trusting in Jesus or it will be paid for at the final judgment. So how does this truth about hell help us to forgive others freely? Have Wesley.
1: It lets us rest assured that like we can forgive them and know that God will bring justice no
0: matter Yes, we can forgive them knowing that God will bring justice. That's one part of it, for sure. The other part is, have you ever done anything wrong? Have you been forgiven by Christ? If you're in Christ, the answer is yes, right? If I've been forgiven, and I know that I have been spared from hell, the judgment that I deserve has already been executed on Jesus, then I can forgive freely, But even if that person I'm forgiving is not in Christ and they, because remember, we talked about forgiveness recently, a couple months ago. And we talked about that experience of when you forgive somebody, you know what you're doing? You're not just simply saying, okay, I release you so I can feel better. You are absorbing the cost. You're saying you harmed me. You hurt me. You did something wrong to me. And I'm not going to require you to pay me back. I'm not going to require, I'm not going to say, I have to be able to inflict these same consequences against you. I am not going to make sure that you are judged. I am saying, you're in God's hands. But I have to absorb it. But I can absorb it knowing that God will take care of it hard, because we want him, on one hand, like Matt said, to do it right now. But we don't want God to do justice right now, ultimately. If we ever think about it, just like what Matt said, because we'd all be in hell, unless Jesus, someone else, absorbed all of our punishment for us, right? The third point of why this doctrine matters is that the doctrine of final judgment Provides a great motive for evangelism. This is why we need to think about hell. It's because we don't want anyone to go there. Right? We want people to know that their sins can't be forgiven and judged 2,000 years ago. Right? This is why Jesus has not come back yet. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So when I think about the truth of hell, that I deserve to go there, that I've been forgiven and don't have to, and then I look at others and I know they don't know Jesus, it should drive me to say, there's hope, right? So those are my three reasons, and it's really early. So what what questions do you have about this question, about final judgment, about judgment in general, about hell? And I don't know that I have all the answers, but if I don't, I can go find out. I always love to learn more. Surely you have some questions about. There's there's always tons of questions (laughs) on this topic. Everybody's afraid to ask them, I'm sure.
1: It's, I think uh, here's a question that I've always had. So if you can answer it, that'd be great. Um, we recently were in Luke, and Jesus said to the people of Capernaum that it would be more bearable on judgment for Sodom for the people
0: of the pyramid, I've always wondered what exactly that means. Right. To be honest, I don't know if you have exact I don't have an answer to what exactly that means, but what it definitely means at the least mm-hmm. is that the final judgment will have degrees of judgment. Yeah. So someone who committed genocide, led a genocide. Will have greater punishment in hell somehow. Well, I don't know what that means, than someone who simply was a rebel against God and lived what we thought was a good life, but ultimately never trusted in Christ, so ultimately, really what is never ultimately good, their level of punishment will be less than that, then will be less than someone else who's committed awful atrocities. That's what that has to mean, at least. There's multiple examples where you see that. Jesus talking about that. Different levels. It'll be worse for you on Judgment Day than this. And he, it's not even just that one. There's another yeah. one coming up I saw. Yeah. So we know that at least. But what it looks like, that's where Dante, he imagined these different levels. <laughs> He's got like seven, eight levels of hell. And <laughs> those aren't told out for us. But Wesley. Humans themselves, we talked about that, are not as evil as they can be. Equal. all evil. Equal. Got it. So, that's a great question. I wondered if someone would say, well, what about Christians? It seems like there's some kind of judgment for Christians. It even talks about judgment for Christians. The Bible teaches that all of our sins were judged, if you're in Christ, all of your sins were judged in Christ. On the cross, God would not judge you twice for something that's already been judged. So, when you stand before Christ on Judgment Day as a Christian, if you are in Christ, all of those sins have already been judged in Christ. You can stand before Christ not having any fear. But then there's still more that will happen for a Christian. Paul talks about in Corinthians that there will be rewards. There will be rewards. And in fact, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, that we make it our aim to please him, whether we are at home or away, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So somehow Christians will also be judged for something. And... Again, I don't think we have a clear picture of this, but we have some clues. We have some interesting clues in terms of things that Jesus said in some of his parables and some things he said to his disciples about some of you will be in judges ruling. Some of you will just be there. Paul even talks about some of you will get into heaven as if by fire, meaning like by the skin of your teeth. In other words, some will get to heaven only on the merits of Christ. All of us only get to heaven on the merits of Christ. But when in that final kingdom, we stand before Christ in Judgment Day, some are going to, in my mind, are going to be given more responsibility for other, than others. Some will experience greater responsibilities. And this may sound weird to you because I think we think about heaven weirdly. We like think about... Sitting around on clouds playing harps, but that's not the picture of heaven we get in the Bible. If you read through the Old Testament prophets, it sounds like heaven—the eternal state—is earth with Jesus there, and no pain, no thorns, no spiders, no broken arms. No spiders? Well, I, she doesn't say spiders. <laughs> This is right, Liam. No venomous, it, no venomous hurting you spiders. They
1: all just tickle
0: you. They tickle you. Maybe you, <laughs> you play with spiders. I don't, we don't know that. But what you do read is it, it's the lion lays down with the lamb. The viper doesn't bite, doesn't have poison. It's clear that heaven is God living with his people forever with no sin tainting anything. Now think about that. If there's a world that will be like that, that means there'll be things to do, like work. But you'll enjoy it. Like, Because when, when God tells Adam, curses him, he says, you're going to sweat in work. It's going to be hard. But before that happened, he told Adam to work in the garden. So at one point, work was good. Then it became bad it will become good again, and you will have responsibilities. And I always have said, I will be thankful if I get to clean toilets in heaven. Mm-hmm. If that's all I get to do, I'm going to be happy about it. So to answer your question, it's not real clear, but it's, it seems to me that there will be, some will be given more responsibilities in heaven than others in that world.
1: Matt. Uh, just to add to that, um, sometimes people tend to, Like, kind of stiff arm, even talking about rewards in heaven because it feels like then it would be self serving. But the problem with that is there must be some room for that because Jesus, multiple times, motivates his followers with that thought, that promise. Right. So there must be some in Christ that's not just self serving. You, know, you see what I'm saying? I mean there, yeah. there must be some measure of that in there somewhere of heightening our future joy in Christ Yeah. by how we do things here.
0: And there's a picture – Paul gives a picture of this, and there's a picture in Revelation of getting crowns, wreaths. And we think of crowns like, like king, queen crowns, but there's actually the word for a wreath that an Olympian would have been given in the – in that time frame. Kind of like we think of a medal. But they would give them a wreath in the Olympics. It's, that's the same word. But it's talking about giving, being given. These kinds of crowns. These kinds of rewards. But there's another picture of us taking them. And putting them at the feet of Jesus. So it's this. We're going to be given rewards. Of some kind of nature. But the recognition. We're just going to turn around and say. Jesus this is all for you. This was all for you. And I think. To the extent that when we do things here on earth as Christians for Christ with motives of saying, God, I'm doing this for you. Take and do with it as you please, regardless of whether I get any attention or not. Would you use this? That's the kind of work when our, when our hearts are like that, that God's going to be pleased with and will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Whereas there are sometimes I do things even as a pastor, with wrong motives of, I'm just doing it because I have to do it sometimes. And that's wrong. And that's the kind of thing that I stand before judgment. I'm not going to go to hell for but he's going to say, here's your pile of sticks, Paul. And they're going to burn up. And then there's going to be the wreath for doing right things. We're out of time. I'm getting the evil eye. Those are great questions. If you have other questions... So it's gone
1: up a level. <laughs> And
0: I just put it on a recording, and I'm going to keep it on the recording, Gene. He's laughing now. The evil eye. I know that all too well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure if you think about this topic a little bit more, you're going to be like, wait, how does that, how's that? And a lot of times we don't have all the clear answers, but we do know these big truths that are here today with confidence in the Word of God. Father, we thank you that you... Have given your son Jesus, who lived the perfect life in our place as our substitute, and then died a death that we deserved. But beyond that, he experienced your rejection on the cross when he said, Why have you forsaken me? And your rejection is the punishment we deserved. And he took that, experienced hell for us, your wrath. And God, we praise you that we can stand before you on Judgment Day and say, we know there is no condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. God, would you help us to tell the good news to our friends and family and coworkers and neighbors that this true these truths about hell would give us reason to open our mouths, and would you help us to live as Christians to please you as our Father, as our daddy, not to earn our way into heaven, but because we want your smile? God thank you that you care in Jesus name. Amen.